Hello everyone. My guest today is Aaron Baugh. He he is the co-founder Icicle, a former TEDx speaker and a podcast host from Inu Element, and uh, as well as a software engineer. I mean, if you have, if you ever look up his LinkedIn profile, he has done a lot of stuff. He 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 knows JavaScript. He know he he knows everything a typical software engineer should know, like JavaScript, HTML. Um, then there is um. CSS, Node.js, web design, web development. So a typical software developing guy who gave a TEDx speech, who has an interest for Rubik's cubes, who owns his own podcast. Aaron, great to have you on my show, man. Welcome. Thank you so much, Ishan. It's great to be here. Um, I have to say, you gave an awesome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this uh. A lot that I like to tinker around with, but honestly, I'm just like a regular guy who likes、um, tinkering around with technology and Rubik's cubes every every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> like how um, like how do you introduce yourself when people ask you, "Hey man, who are you? What do you do? How do you introduce yourself to any stranger you meet?" I usually I tell most people that I'm like a professional Googler, so. <laughs> because, like, I studied computer science in university. Lots、True. of people who want to get into programming do the same thing, and you need to. One of the best skills that a, a computer science degree, or in fact, a lot of degrees, teach you is not so much the knowledge, but how to acquire knowledge, how、hmm. to find what you're looking for, and more often than not, that's actually more useful than the theory you learn because you do get like a solid foundation. In any degree that you take up, but it's these meta skills like how to learn, how to find things out that ultimately is what sets you up for life. And I found that after university,、um, a lot of what I did was obviously applying what I learned, but also knowing how to find out what I don't know.、Um, so it's this kind of joke amongst myself and other like friends of mine that are also into software development that we just spend most of our day like googling stuff. Um, That's what we do. Bible, <laughs> <so> . <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we we have a simple Python project right now in our college. A lot of kids, I mean, like we don't like we don't directly copy paste the entire code. That's plagiarism. I mean, we pick up snippets from multiple sources. That's smart. <laughs> yeah, of course. But if you think about it, isn't that what learning is? Right, you're picking right. up bits and pieces from different sources, then you're processing it, you're understanding、mm -hmm. it, and applying it. Within context, in a way that's yours. So I wouldn't say、yeah. there's anything wrong with that at all. Same here. Like, and I mean, how can you not? Like, you can't run the code properly if you don't understand what you're copy pasting. Yeah, true. You just true. can't do you it. You know, like I hear a lot of people even out there. I mean, I was in Europe. I think in 2019, I was in Sweden. One of the guys over there said that, "Hey, okay, your education is all about memory and stuff." But just a thought came to me that、um, how am I not understanding what I'm reading? Like,、mm. if I do, if I don't understand what I'm reading, how can I memorize it?、Mm. Right. Yeah, that is so true. Isn't there a famous quote that goes, "I hear and I forget; I see and I remember, but I do and I understand."、Mm -hmm. So I think it's 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 very true, and I think memorization is only really like half. The story, if you don't understand it, it doesn't become useful, right? 
you right. can memorize one way to apply some piece of knowledge, but it kind of loses its power beyond that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's a really interesting insight that you have. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, um, when do you have some funny incidents that you didn't call it? Like, what was your college life like? My college life, um, I loved university. I think university is one of those things that, while some people choose not to do it for various reasons, I found it was very much a big part of my growth and development. It was such a formative like part of my life, especially the the first few years where you undergo so much change like so quickly. And I remember for me, one of the highlights was just meeting people and having everyone around me be so open to sharing their story, to making friends and just doing really weird things. Like the conversations that I'd have just a couple weeks into university was so mm -hmm. bizarre and random. And looking back now, you'd never like have those kinds of conversations with just anyone you might meet. Um, but in university, it's like this environment where everyone's just being a bit, a little bit silly and bizarre. Those yeah, like it's like this environment with like a bunch of kids. Like even I just feel like you know, like we are we're just students who want to learn so much, who are trying to explore and discover new mm -hmm. things. So we have an open mind, and we just like sharing it with each other. If we're you know kind of open to each other and kind of social. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's really nice because if you think about it, a lot of people go through their childhood, their upbringing, and they're in this bubble, right? And for right. me, this is very prominent because I come from a pretty small place, right? It's called Gibraltar. In fact, I'm actually in Gibraltar uh, right now. And this mm -hmm. is, it's a really small place. Everyone here knows each other. Like you walk down the street, you bump into like five people that you know. And while that's awesome in some ways, in other ways, you do tend to develop a bit of bubble think. And it takes you requiring to step out of that bubble into another environment mm. to really see that there's other things beyond this like six square kilometer radius, six square mile radius. Mm -hmm. And that was really enlightening for me and kind of showed me so many different ways of thinking, so many different ways of life, living that it really helps to pop that bubble. And I think it's so important for people to experience that for sure. Definitely. I mean, um, did you kind of feel like it was um, you getting out of your comfort zone? Did it feel uncomfortable when you started to open up in college? Yeah, I think, I think so. Uh, but one really interesting thing is that with most things, with practice, you get a bit more comfortable with it. So you get more comfortable just sharing like your story and like approaching strangers and whatnot and actually becomes a little bit a little bit fun um and funnily enough that's actually a practice that has stuck with me beyond university i i love actually just interacting with strangers and meeting new people and it's really funny because in london that is like not a very common thing to do right people people are quite you know, in their own world, doing their own thing in London, especially on like, you know, public transport and whatnot. So if you mm -hmm. walk up to someone and say, hey, how's it going, man? They'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> it takes them a okay. second, but then, you know, yeah. most people are quite friendly about it. And they'll Maybe that's just how cities are. 
It could be. I, you know, haven't lived in any other city than than London, so I wouldn't know. But perhaps it is a city thing. Is that? Do you do you notice something similar in Pune? Like, like, like Pune is not like a huge city. Like, like it's not like a metropolis. Like Mumbai is like that. I mean, if you just go and say I was going Mumbai, I don't know. I've never, like, I've never lived outside of Pune my entire life, so I don't know either. I mean, we're just making assumptions, but that's what it feels like from the outside. Yeah. Like if you've you, ever visited you, these places, you just you haven't spent enough time, but that's what you tend to create. That that's your judgment. You become too judgmental. Yeah, totally. D- do you feel that there is a bit of group or bubble thinking in, you know, your hometown or whatnot, or do you find that most people are quite open-minded? Uh, like initially, when I was a kid, yes, because it was a small town. But over time, the city has grown, and I think it's about to become one of the largest. Cities of the state is going to become larger than Mumbai mm. in terms of um, area and size. So it's grown wow. pretty much now. So I don't recall a time when you know we, we were like it's like a small bubble. I mean, even Pune is growing and becoming more like a proper city now. Mm. That's so interesting. Would you say that Pune is going to become the next like Mumbai? Then is that where it's at? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, there you have it, folks. You gotta invest in in Pune. Pune is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun to watch. That that would be fun to say, like, "Hey, you're you're living over here," and you know, I mean, it's like you know how some of these social media people feel like, "Hey, they're stuck to a platform their entire life," and all of a sudden that social media platform just blows up, and they're like, "Hey, we've been here from the beginning, and we're reaping the rewards." Hmm. Absolutely. It would be. You know, if it could be something like that. It could be very very cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much power in investing in something you believe in from the very get go, and then sticking that through. You see that with so many things. I have a friend who's really into blockchain technology, uh, distributed ledger technology, and and cryptocurrency, and he's been like that for the past, you know, five six years. He bought his first bit of Bitcoin, I think, in like 2013. So not from like I think he's rich now of Bitcoin. Is he rich now? <laughs> He's he's doing he's doing well, but he didn't he didn't um, he didn't become very successful just by buying uh, cryptocurrency. Mm. What? Because that's how the market was. works. Like I don't like right. I have yeah I have some of cryptocurrency, but again, people are thinking that cryptocurrency is like a stock market. Like you know you're putting your money in a company and as employees that's gonna you know give you revenue and return. That's not the purpose. It's like the an evolved version and like an additional feature of the internet. That you know, um, how we used to say that hey, we can now live in we live in a virtual world. This Zoom is a virtual world. We're con- having a conversation through a virtual platform. But when it comes to money and financial transactions, like when we say like okay, we're accessing bank online in a digital manner, the money is not really on the internet. The money is stored somewhere. The balance is stored somewhere in the physical world in a book or something. We just accessing it through the internet now. Cryptocurrency and blockchain is a way to literally have money on the internet, right? Yeah. Mm. And now we're speaking it's, of cryptocurrencies. Do you do you own some cryptocurrency? It's interesting. I think there's a lot of really interesting points you brought up. I do own some cryptocurrency. For me, it's really interesting that you mentioned that that's not the purpose of of cryptocurrency. That it is. More of a utility, you know. It's it's a type of you know 
money that you use for transactions and whatnot in the mm. virtual world. What I would actually argue is that cryptocurrency in some ways is actually not too far off from our traditional centralized banking system. You think about it, right? Yes, like a couple hundred years ago, if you had like, you know, um, five gold coins, that was five tangible gold coins, right? Like it's, mm. it's real. These days, if you look at your bank account and it has, you know, a couple of numbers in front of your name, that actually doesn't necessarily mean that there's a bank that's holding, you know, they've set aside that, you know, your here's Ishan's like yeah. savings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what they tend to do is more so say, okay, we've got like ten people, no one's gonna take out, you know, three thousand uh, rupees or whatever at the same time. So there's a, um, there's like, a term for this. What system of deficit or something? What's it called? I would love to know the name actually because I'm, I've, I think I'm, I'll I've look it up. What's it called? I've heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I think it's called a system of deficit, like deficit financing, a practice in which a government or a bank spends spends more money than it receives as revenue. The difference oh, being made up gosh. by borrowing or minting new funds. Right. Like so, basically, That's banks cool. they they lend out more money than they actually have. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I love the name deficit banking. I've never come across it mm -hmm. before. But yeah, totally. And I think one of the promising things about cryptocurrency is that there's no centralized entity that can basically take charge of that, take charge in a way but that again, allows like, for deficit banking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no deficit. Again, there's also a lot of issues that we are meaning. Like in India, a lot of people are getting scammed. Like even I'm um, like, the problem is that, again, like we need to, we need Indian platforms. Like we need a way for us to, take out money from our banks and put it on these platforms. So what's going on right now is that all of each and every single bank is indirectly kind of, you know, bullying these platforms and they have denied the basic um, direct bank account to wallet Indian rupee transaction. So I can't transfer any rupees directly through my bank account. I need to use the online portal through these platforms, like the P2P version, which is again decentralized. It's through the platform or any there are lots of crypto marketplaces in india right now just pick up any one of them and then like they give you spe any specific currency it could be us um us dollar tether or ethereum whatever currency it is and then you immediately exchange on the spot so like again you give out a note it's like a completely decentralized system the problem is it takes much longer and like in case you screw it up there is a major fine like i think this is what happened with me and it could happen with a lot of people that um, one aspect is that it's taking way too long for people to get cryptocurrency mm -hmm. because of this decentralized system. It's not as fast as it should be in India compared to the earlier one because centralization was fast. There was speed. There's enough speed in the initial stages, meaning getting our money from INR to crypto. Once it's in crypto, then just in seconds you can just make any transaction you want i can buy any nft i want tomorrow like tomorrow let's say the crypt nft market crashes i'm going to buy all of we friends carry when it's project i'm just going to buy them because they're, they're going to go down as well and i'm confident he'll try to you know push it back up and they'll be cheap so i think i'm going to buy them all not all but i'll try and buy as much as i can right so that's pretty fast that's pretty instant but this initial stages is, is issues as the second thing i think is the scam part, you know, where people try to um, get you tricked, like the basic social engineering um, element that hey, people are going to get you scammed. Um, people are going to 
steal your wallet numbers and stuff and i mean there are legal proper legit ways people do this huh? um i was watching this video on linkedin from i think a gabriel friedlander and then i looked it up so basically there was this um there was this woman who had five bitcoins it's just think it's a recent incident and it was on one of these platforms it was on it was on our website on the she was using the web browser version she wanted to use the mobile version so she looked up the um platform name on the app store and the one on the top right you know how seo works so she hit install on the one on the top when she opened the app the the app asked her for her cryptocurrency wallet and password and everything she entered it and within a, um, like 15 minutes all her cryptocurrency was gone oh. yeah like all five bitcoins just gone because apparently that app wasn't the real one somebody had um created a fake application with a similar name and it had done the seo part you know how like how the google algorithm works right mm-hmm. so that's another like there's a little bit of element of um safety and um, protection over here so i think people will have to educate themselves to protect them from scams and learn to get things done like i'm like one of my p2p transactions i'm still struggling to get it done because it's taking too long for me to get my cryptocurrency it's been way too long i don't want to say how long on this platform now but it's been way too long and i'm still waiting for that specific transaction it's not taken place yet but if we just remove this these are just the initial orders and i'm sure somebody would somebody would solve these problems i think that's some really interesting insight ishan you know i think there's a lot of issues with availability to for cryptocurrency um you know the platform as you mentioned and trust as well i think both of those with time i feel like it's improving if you i think one of the biggest reasons why crypto has exploded the past year two years is because i think the availability has gone up tremendously you look at platforms like revolut and you can buy cryptocurrency now mm-hmm. um i think there are other platforms that either have or will allow you to buy cryptocurrency very shortly i think even paypal yeah. um paypal is, i think paypal started that with um what's the Ameri- um just a minute i don't coinbase coinbase so i think they've had a partnership mm-hmm. with coinbase mm-hmm. and i think they're going to start paypal transactions soon mm-hmm. yeah it's crazy and there's so much more availability that you know when the when the layperson can really easy download an app on their phone and the platforms they already somewhat trust are offering mm-hmm. this it becomes so much easier then the second problem starts getting better which is another one that you touched on which is that people are having trouble trusting this new this new technology right when they see right. them you know revolut say you can buy cryptocurrency now you can use this to pay for stuff and they trust revolut they're more inclined to trust this new technology and give it a shot so you're totally right i think there's a lot to do but i would say it's getting better with time for sure mm-hmm. and i mean eventually you know the same thing happened with the internet right? okay there was a problem some company walked in and mm-hmm. fixed it so i mean in the long run it's going to it's going to work out and in the long run cryptocurrency like just pick up any cryptocurrency like a decent one like if you want to keep it like a stock it can go up in value over the long run because the system is designed such that um it's going to make your cryptocurrency worth more over time the reason it's fluctuating right now so much is because um it's being held by a lot of emotional people 
Right, they just hear something like yesterday there was a news that China just banned mining and people. It was all over the social media. People started started freaking out and the price of cryptocurrency just went down. Hmm. Like it, it's just going up and down, up and down, and that, that's kind of obvious. That's just how the that's that's also how the stock market works in terms of dynamics. So in the long run, I think any just any decent cryptocurrency would be much more valuable than your fiat currency. But again, like people are gonna, yeah, people are treating most cryptocurrencies like um they would treat gold and silver like a non-performing asset, like they they would treat gold. But again, then there's Ethereum. Right? Ethereum is used to buy. It's gonna be used to buy digital assets. It's gonna be used to buy a lot of stuff. Like, you know how um people do um all this flipping, sneaker flipping, and all on Amazon. They could not do so through the blockchain. Like they could literally buy something at a cheaper price, any NFT. Anything valuable could be a, a card or anything, and then they could just flip it for a higher price later on. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like this idea of a non-performing asset that you mentioned, I think is is really true because I don't think a lot of people see the value in Bitcoin as something that you use to make transactions with because the price mm-hmm. of a transaction is yeah. so high. The reason gold works is because gold and silver, like they may be non-performing, but they're also dis- like they're also used in industry like you use them in factories it's melted to create new things it mm-hmm. there's gold in this thing there is some mm-hmm. a little bit of gold used in here for conducting purposes like even a tiny bit of gold so it has some value like i'm not going to be melting bitcoins to make a microphone am i <laughs> no like then in india like you use gold for jewelry like you every every indian wedding you will never see a wedding without any gold being involved There is tons of jewelry. The bride wears a lot of jewelry. Like you can't, you cannot see any any Indian wedding without any, um, any gold on. Yeah, yeah. That's just how valuable these um gold and silver are. Like Indian, they're metals, right? We we use them. That may not be Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. That is so interesting. Have you mm-hmm. ever been to an Indian wedding? Dude, I'm from India. Of course, I've yeah, been to Indian wedding. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I I ask because I have friends that you know I went to university with, and like I've never been to a wedding. Full stop. Like, oh. so I don't know. You know, don't make that assumption. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I was supposed to go to London for my sister's wedding, but let's see. You know, I think because of COVID and all, um, the visa office is shut. Mm. I know that's that's sad, but it's fine. Oh, we wow. may be attending well, it via Zoom. I'm sorry you don't get to attend in person, but at the same time, you know, like Indian weddings sound amazing. <laughs> yeah, they are. I'm really I mean, glad you get to experience them. And the best part is that it they're long weddings. Like they don't just get over in a day, so it's kind of fun. Like you just get to socialize and spend time with people. It depends on who the um whose wedding it is and how the people are. That's what I think. Mm. and that's what I, that's just what i like about our weddings that hey there's so there's so there's just so many things going on you feel alive yeah i mean like you know like the best thing that happened to me during my this entire lockdown was my cousin's wedding in december like um it was pretty exciting like though the pe- number of people were less it was fun to see people being involved in something and having fun cuz i hadn't seen that for an entire year. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I'm I'm really curious. What are some of the other things that you have done 
this last year that you feel have kept you kept you you know having fun ensuring you're still learning growing and not just you know down in the dumps about what's going on around you in this lockdown yeah like for the first time i was just studying for my engineering entrance exams all the way up till october november and then i just started to relax a little bit and then i just um, like again like i was just kind of figuring out that hey i want to start a podcast or something so i was just understanding how to do it and again i'm a i'm kind of lazy so it took me a lot of time to figure out okay how do things work how does everything work what do i need like finally i decided that okay fine i'm just going to wait for my semester to get over and i was learning everything about podcasting i could like you know how i could record podcast because i i don't have that expensive equipment what am i going to need okay like you got you just need a mic and a headphone okay do i have a microphone earlier i was using my iphone like you just plug it in and since the apple ecosystem is efficient you can just um use that as a microphone that's what i was using for my f- um first few episodes and i found this microphone it's a karaoke mic okay like it was just um sitting at my house my father wasn't using it because um he couldn't use it with his laptop for some reason i plugged it into my computer and checked it it's working i'm like okay cool i have this m- microphone and then i got this boom stand like um on amazon it was a pretty good deal like i, I got it for 50% off and yeah can you know people have these excuses that hey i don't have money to get equipment no you don't do this is 500 rupees now this is not even 5 pounds yeah <laughs> this stand that i have got over this boom stand that's, so i just figured out the equipment works so that's what that's all i did like i was already learning how to you know build websites and everything because i'm going to be i'm 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 an it student like i'm a software and i'm engineering student right now i'm not, i'm a software engineer that's what i like to call myself because that's what i'm studying right now so like it's my job to know how the um, programs work like i already knew i knew java in 11th and 12th grade i learned c language in my first year in college i mean you you just learn one of these programming languages things become easier i'm going to be um starting to learn data structures and, and algorithms pretty soon because everybody is like oh, it's going to be pretty important it's going to be tough i said okay i'll give it a shot any anybody i mean like what are your thoughts on da- um, data structure algorithm do you think we should um any freshers to start immediately once they learn any basic programming because is it that hard i think that's a really good question i think data structures and algorithms are such a fundamental part of computer science and for me if i look back and i were to pick like the one or two modules that i did in university that were the most computer sciencey it would probably be data structure and algorithms now should that be something that freshers do i think it really depends you know it's like if you're learning a language right mm-hmm. there's language is really important to be able to express yourself and if you think about it code is just another way that we express ideas it's the language of virtual logic and data structures and algorithms are the techniques and tools they are the metaphors that this language uses to convey ideas so in a lot of ways when someone's learning a new language right if you're going to learn english for the first time or if you're going to learn hindu you're going to learn french german italian you learn first the basic 
principles of that language, you know, the vocabulary, and then you learn how to string basic sentences together. And once you're right. comfortable enough to express basic ideas, have a basic conversation, then you can start learning about more complex things, right? How do you use figurative language? How, how do you express yourself with poetry, maybe even a song? I think it's similar with, with computer science, with programming, in that I think first it's important to learn the fundamentals of a language so that you have mm -hmm. a way of expressing your ideas. Because I think it's difficult to learn about data structures and algorithms without having something that you can use to express these ideas. It's, it's possible, you know, you can understand the concept of, you know, a binary tree or a heap or a stack without a programming language. But the moment you can take that idea and then use it and implement it, that's when it clicks, you understand it now, and then you know it, you can use it going forward. So I, I think that while it might not be as critical to learn it day one, I think it's important to learn it early on. So yeah, it's awesome that you're going to be doing that soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just on the kind of resources. Like I may have found an ebook, there are a lot of videos out there. And the best part about coding is that it's pretty much free. I mean, the, the resources are available for free everywhere on the internet. Yeah, you can literally learn to code the basic part for free. Again, like there are all, there are a lot of paid platforms. Like my brother is using a paid paid platform. He knows more coding and data structures than I do. Like he learned, he started in twenty eighteen. Like the fees is expensive, but it's a one on one teacher, and the teacher that teacher is pro probably one of the best coders in the in the institution over there. So he learns again like via Zoom conferencing or something like that. And he knows more about coding than I do. I mean, he was using Python to um, control his Discord server just yesterday. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. so cool. You know, I know, the right? first I... thing... Yeah, you were saying. Oh, I was just going to say, the first thing I ever learned how to program was a Discord bot for Discord. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the thing with me is that I don't like Python at all. Hmm. I just don't like it. Like I like C language, I like Java, but I don't like Python. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't give you the freedom to write the code the way you want to. Like literally in Java, I can just go like hit 15 times, just 15 lines, just because I want I want the code to look clean, right? You can't do that in Python. You have to keep it short. You have to keep it in a specific ways. I just don't like to keep it that neat. <laughs> I have a different version of neat. And yeah, neat and tidy. So that's why I don't like Python at all. I mean, and it, it doesn't make any sense for data structure algorithm. Like I try to um, use some of it. It does. It doesn't. I don't think I would be able to understand data structure algorithms if I just started with Python. But that was my first programming language ever. That is really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting how different programming languages encourage different ways of programming but what i find really interesting is we've spoken a lot about different languages different specific mm -hmm. strategies and techniques but yeah. something i've been thinking about a lot and i would love your opinion on this is i think all of these things make for a good engineer learning how to code in different languages learning about data structures and algorithms mm -hmm. being able to problem solve but i'm curious what makes for a great engineer
And I've been having this conversation with a couple of my own mentors at, at work and trying to understand what makes for a great engineer. Because I think we all probably want to be, you know, the best that we can be and be, be mm. great engineers, right? And for me, one of the things that makes for a great engineer is being able to get a problem, to hear someone with a problem, and then not immediately start converting that into a specification and start, you know, you know, writing that up as, as code and whatnot. But I think it has a lot to do with being able to question that and say, wait a second, are we solving the right problem here? You think about it, right? If mm -hmm. I were to tell you, hey, man, this app, like, it takes forever to load. It seems really slow. There's two things you could right. do there, right? You could take a look at your code and you could be, oh man, this for loop is so inefficient. We're allocating memory all over the place. I'm gonna spend three weeks refactoring this. We're gonna use memory buffers. We're gonna, you know, optimize the heck out that, of this. That'll take forever. Yeah, it'll take a while, but you know, if you pay attention to what the user said, they said it feels slow. Maybe there's another way you can fix that. Maybe you can just add in a little loading spinner. All of a sudden, mm. it doesn't feel as slow, right? So I think yeah. that is one of the hallmarks of a great engineer to make sure that you know you're solving the right problem. But I'm very curious, what in your eyes do you feel makes for a great engineer? Uh, well, being a first year engineering student, I think I might be too naive to answer this at this point, but um, I think the best part is crisis management because it um, hits you with a lot of surprises, multiple tasks, a lot of things to do in a very short span of time. So you're, you're learning to get more done in less time. You have to work smart and hard both. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to do smart work. No, man, you have to also work hard. You can do smart work and get three tasks done quickly. But if you want to get 30 tasks done quickly, because what's happening, like, even in a college right now, like sometimes they just throw in a lot of assignments just that, like, and they'll give you some time. Okay, so we'll finish it in this much time. So we are given specific time to solve questions and um, do a submission. Like we need to understand like how to get all of that stuff done in less, in a more efficient manner and in less time. Mm -hmm. I think that's what will make a great, great engineer to solve problems and um, create, build stuff in a much more efficient manner in lesser time. Because I think, I think that's what COVID taught us, right? Crisis management is pretty important. I don't think a lot of um, institutions emphasize a lot on it. And I think that's where we lack it. It's because it's hard. Crisis management is hard. Getting more, like, when there's a lot of things on your plate, how would you manage it? You need to have the stomach for that. So that training needs to start on earlier. So I think it could start in colleges. And if you're an engineer, it's the best thing that can happen to you. Yeah, I think that's so true. And the reason I asked this was because there is no real answer to that question. It's more a thought experiment that's good to keep in mind because it'll become it have asking that very question helps you to become a great engineer so mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that i asked you a lot of people get very caught up in the day-to-day -day and making sure they hit their grades that they learn the data mm -hmm. structures the algorithms the languages that they do well but i think asking this question helps set you apart a little bit 
and that's why I asked you. It's very interesting to hear your your answer, and I think you're very observant and you think quite maturely for your age and and your stage in life. So that's Thank very you. encouraging to see. <laughs> yeah, you should definitely definitely keep doing that. That's a really really useful skill to have. Wow. Thank you. I'm you're not awesome. used to compliments, man. So it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm surprised. You're a very, very talented guy. So, um, you know, you should definitely keep doing what you're doing. Keep working hard. I think that is so important. We need to not just work smart or work hard, but we need to combine those two things. It's so important. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I believe really strongly in. I'm a huge advocate of the idea of focusing. It's something that I'm so, so passionate about because I think there's so many things that get in the way of our full potential and our full expression and the ability to focus both on the macro level you know mm -hmm. what do i want to decide to do and on the micro level which is how am i going to complete this task right now is so 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 important and i think nailing that helps you work smart and also work hard as well it's so important so mm. that's really 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 huge And that, that was an interesting perspective. Man. I really like, I really like when you said that in the end, it's all about th um, thinking on your feet. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what it was all about. Like thinking on your feet. And I really like that approach. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that thinking on your feet is in a lot of ways possible by the preparation that you put in before that. So there's this really interesting story of a designer who and i forget the specific details here but i think the the truth in the message remains they sat in a boardroom with a bunch of executives that wanted a new logo for their company and you know they had a conversation for a couple of minutes and she took out a napkin and she started scribbling on it right she started doodling around and then she turned to the executives at the end of the meeting and then she showed them the napkin and then they said and she said what do you think of this and they said that's perfect oh my gosh that's exactly what we need that's exactly what we're looking for you nailed it that is precisely what's going to be the you know the brand of our company and then she said fantastic that'll be two hundred thousand dollars and they were shocked <laughs> they were like what you just scribbled that in front of us that is insane what, what do you mean like and then she said, it took me 20 years to be able to scribble this in front of you. And I think that really speaks to the power of preparation because being well prepared can allow you to think quickly on your feet and to be able to scribble something in a couple minutes that's worth something so valuable because uh -huh. a lot of people think it's what you did in those 20 minutes. No, no, no. It's all of those years of preparation. Hmm. Like now that you mentioned scribbling stuff pretty quickly, I mean, like, I just, I just joined Instagram recently. I created a new Instagram page. Like, I'm doing pretty good on LinkedIn. Awesome. Right, LinkedIn was good. But I'm like, okay, fine. Like, should, should, I should also try for Instagram. So, like, I mean, here's what I do. Like, for content, like, if I see a meme, and then a meme is a commodity. It's not owned by anybody. So, like, I started making a few memes and just uploading, uploading them on my Instagram page. Like, I don't think too much about it. If I like it, I put it. Same with um, like my tweets. Like, if I think something, I just tweet it out on Twitter and then take a screenshot and then up, up send, um, 
post it on Instagram. It's that simple. Like you know, mm. people just want to upload like two or three times, once or twice a day on Instagram, thinking, "Ha, like yeah, it, it'll make a difference." Mm. I think like I think like on an average, now I'm posting eight to ten times a day on Instagram, and eight to ten ten times a day on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good consistency. I know. I mean, it's it's hard. It's not easy. Like today, I think today I've messed it up a little bit. I haven't posted anything since morning because I was doing some work with my family. As but it's okay. I'll, I can still hit like six to seven. You'll see. Like I have, I still have time. I have like a lot of. I have enough. I have like six hours now. I'll figure something out. That's awesome. It's it's. I think consistency is really important. Um, it's something definitely that I don't do as well in social media for sure. I'm a lot more sporadic, and reason being is that I've just been so skeptical of social media the past couple of years that I have trouble. Same here. You know, getting into it. I, 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 I don't even have Instagram on my phone. I have an Instagram account, but I have it on my laptop. So I have an mm-hmm. M1 MacBook, and I literally downloaded like the Instagram app. And I only log into Instagram like once once a weekend <laughs> to check my notifications, upload. Yeah, some, like, like that's that's exactly what I do with my. Like, that's exactly what, what I've done with my personal account my entire life. I don't. Mm-hmm. I barely post on it. I think I have. I would have posted. Like I joined Instagram back in 2015 when I got a new phone. I was like, okay, fine. This seems to be a pretty cool app. I just create an account, but I never used it that much. Over the past like five to six years, I've only posted like ten to twelve times on it. Mm. That's it. Okay, like I do share some me on some memes or or something like that sometimes mm. through stories. That's it. I only like I only reinstalled it in twenty twenty because I had nothing better to do. And then in twenty twenty one, I decided okay, fine. Like I'm already <laughs> I'm putting out content on LinkedIn. Maybe I should start an Instagram page as well. So I think that's it. Like I barely check out my private account. I only open it. I only open my um cyber killer account and use that one. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm really fascinated by the power of social media to grow brands. Um, I'm just not as interested in my own personal use for social media because mm. I feel as though I value my attention a lot and I don't want to distract myself that often so but I think it's yeah. cool for brands and businesses it's really interesting for marketing it's really interesting uh-huh you've ever uploaded you've ever uploaded your tech talk on your instagram or spoken about it no actually I haven't um I haven't uploaded anything on my personal Instagram in like four years. <laughs> so it's been some time. Um, but it's cool. I there's something I find pretty cool. Like I I'm I found that after a while, you know, if people think I'm interesting enough to like look me up online and they find it, that's cool. But I'm not really one to kind of share it around and whatnot. Um, I kind of just like to focus on, you know, doing my own thing and putting my energy towards the things that excite me. Um, it's cool. Like when people find out about it and they're like, oh, you did this like talk. That's so cool. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, 
I do like the idea of Instagram for sharing inspiration and even for the like the artistic value. I know a lot of people that use it for that. I have friends that are designers and they use Instagram for inspiration. I, you know, my mother's really into like crafts and she uses that for inspiration as well. Um, and from time to time, I'll use a couple of websites when I'm looking for some design inspiration as well. One of my favorites is Dribble or Behance. Those are amazing for looking for design ideas and being able to get some inspiration too. But for me personally, I'm not too into Instagram. Um, but I don't know, that might change in the ah, future. Same here. Like I barely use Instagram. I only look it up for um, my post, my page. That's it. I barely check my personal Instagram. I just maybe double tap my chats if somebody leaves some reply to my stories. <laughs> I don't use Instagram. Like I've started using Snapchat a lot because that's what people use in my college. And it's kind of mm-hmm. fun. Like, I mean, the thing, the best part about it is I don't have to worry about what I've snapped because once I snap something and I send it to my friends, I don't even remember what I've sent them. So I don't have to worry about what happened, what's gonna, what's it gonna be like, will they judge me? Because I don't even remember what I sent, and you can't even look it back up. So I don't worry about that, and it it kind of feels good. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of an organic way to share memories with people because it's less filtered. You don't have as much time to tweak, refine, to compose a photo or memory. It's just kind of raw. Um, so that's that's quite interesting. It's been mm. a while since I've used Snapchat, but I just remember using it to send like goofy videos and stuff to friends, <laughs> but it's been a while. <laughs> I know, I mean, I just like, I, I like it. I mean, it's just simple. You take out your phone, take a picture, send, done. You don't waste your time yeah. thinking so a lot about it. Like you can maybe use some of those filters, but they're quick. They don't waste a lot of your time. Yeah, for sure. For uh-huh. sure. Right. Like, um, so I think we were talking about your TEDx talk, right? Have, um, what was your journey like with your um, TEDx talk? Could you like to, would you like to share that with us? Yeah, for sure. It's really interesting you brought that up. So my TED talk, um, and I'll be clear, it wasn't an official like TEDx talk. So I'll first explain like what this actually was. In universities, it's very common for them to have organizations and societies that set up actual you know independent TED events and in my university they also had one of these and it was actually one of the biggest in in Europe which is really really interesting cool in my first year of university I remember walking through our we have this thing called the societies fair where each of these student clubs and societies they bring up stalls and they recruit people they tell everyone what they're about um, I'm not sure if they might have it in, in India as well, but I imagine it's probably a common thing. We have college, we have, we have TEDx events here. We have individual mm-hmm. college fests. We have, we have, we have a lot of college fests over here. I mean, there's not much recently because of COVID, but if you, if there were pre-corona there, we have a lot of college festivals in which we have set up stalls. We've done a t- tremendous artwork and it's decorated all over the Institute. Mm. Yeah, so we have that over here. Yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. And in 
in my university, they have these every year. And in my first year of university, I remember seeing that stall for TEDx. I thought, oh, that is so cool. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk up to them. But I was kind of shy. Like, I was really hesitant. Like, should I walk up to them? I don't know. Like, should I, should I not? Um, in the end, like, I ended up walking by. They started talking to me for a bit, but I was really shy. So, like, I walked away after a while. Mm-hmm. And then in the, my second year of university, they had the same stall up again. And I walked up to them and said, okay, this time I'm going to talk to them. I want to hear what they do. And then they explained that within that team, they have another group that actually takes care of all of their design work, their marketing, their branding. They call it the creative team. And mm-hmm. to me, that was so cool because I was doing computer science in university, but I also really cherished my creative side. I loved designing things and I didn't want to lose touch with that. So I thought I want to, you know, apply and try and join this creative team. So I did that and they let me in, which is really cool. Ended up doing a lot of like video work for the the TEDx event and, um, you know, recording videos, making editing videos. And that was a lot of fun. I absolutely loved that. And then in my third year of university in my last year I you know things got like super busy um but I thought you know what TED is TEDx is such an awesome thing um in about November time I saw adverts come out for student auditions and I thought you know it'd be pretty cool to actually audition for a talk so I did and at the time I was really obsessed with this idea of focus I had read a bunch of books you know, one that really changed my life was Deep Work by Cal Newport. And it it explains so eloquently how you can engineer your life in a way that enables you to spend long amounts of time really deeply focused in work. And I had read a bunch of other books as well that supported this idea. And I felt it really had an impact on my life. You know, I had always been, a, a, you know, a decent student, but you know, that year in university, those, you know, that last year, things really changed. I felt like I really, you know, pushed myself and I was really, really happy with what I was able to accomplish. And I thought it'd be awesome to like talk to other people about this and make sure mm-hmm. that they are working on what they care about and be able to focus. So I auditioned for that and they thought I was interesting enough. So they offered me a slot in what they called our student salons. So Mm -hmm. these are a series of events that took place before the main event, before the main TEDx event. Um, But they're recorded and uploaded to, you know, the TED channel, just the same. And that was an incredible experience, you know, being able to prepare a talk to rehearse it for a couple of months and then get coaching from the team on how to, you know, present, how to refine the story. And it was such an amazing experience. I remember walking out on the stage on the day and hearing myself speak and not actually be thinking about what I was saying. It was Mm -hmm. such a bizarre feeling. It was like I was watching myself speak and I was thinking, wow, I'm not thinking about what I'm seeing. It's just like coming out. And it was such a cool feeling because that's what happens when you just rehearse so much. Uh-huh. Um, and it was really, really cool experience. I came up of that experience with such a high and 
ever since I have been so passionate about storytelling that it's it's driven me to pursue better communication at work and even you know in podcasting and whatnot so I took a lot from that experience for sure hmm. yeah you have a podcast in your element what do you do in a podcast yeah, what's that so about my so the in your element podcast is all about uncovering stories of people that seem to be living in their element so throughout the past couple of years you know pretty much throughout my university years i got really obsessed with other people's stories i loved reading biographies in fact i love listening to biographies even more one of my favorite things is going for runs and listening to audiobooks which are biographies narrated by the author so i've listened to a couple like richard branson um you know finding my virginity there's also um phil knight shoe dog the owner of nike mm. and um the steve jobs biography by walter isaacson that one's not quite narrated by steve jobs but it was still fascinating now i'm listening to the biography of barack obama promised land and i loved listening to people's stories and then i noticed that in work i would have meetings with people that really inspired me that i found really interesting and i would just try to listen and get them to uncover their stories and they mm-hmm. were so interesting so i thought it'd be really cool to share this with other people and so that's really where the podcast came from i just wanted to have conversations with people that have interesting stories and share them with everyone else hmm all right so how many episodes have you done so far good question so i believe i've got about 15 interviews put up and in between some of those i also upload what i call little narratives or spoken words so mm-hmm. i feel quite inspired every now and then i might hear a soundtrack that i really like and there's a topic that's on my mind and so i usually just write up a script and i just like speak it it's um almost like a spoken article i guess and i have a couple of those as well um it's just another sort of creative outlet Uh-huh. So how did you feel after like how did you feel when you recorded your first episode? Probably very similarly similar to you. Um, you know, I felt a little bit nervous, but at the same time, I was so excited that someone had agreed to spend their time with me and I was so grateful that they just came on the podcast that I was genuinely curious and I just wanted to ask them questions and for me my favorite episodes are just ones where I get just get to have a conversation like we're doing right mm-hmm. now you know we're just having a conversation getting to know each other and I feel like there's so much you can learn by doing that and it's one of my favorite things about podcasting and being that grateful for other people showing up on my podcast makes me feel amazing when other people ask me to come on theirs which is why I've been so excited to to come on your podcast. Great. Thanks man. Huh. Yeah, really feels course. good. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh-huh. So like um like you you've loved of conversations. A lot of conversations. I love conversations, man. Like there's so much you can learn from people just by trying to uncover how they think and their story and you'd be surprised the kind of people that 
don't put themselves forward to share the story sometimes have the stories that need to be shared the most. And I think that's so, so interesting. So yeah, it's, it's tough to find those stories, but once you do, it's so worth it, man. There's so many interesting things that you can, you can uncover. That's an interesting perspective. I really like the way you said it. Yeah. Thank you. There's, um, there's a lot that I've learned from just a couple episodes, but you know, granted my podcast is still really new and in fact, I haven't even told many of my like real life friends about it just yet because I wasn't even sure if it was something I wanted to do for a while. So I tried it out for a couple of weeks and I thought if I do it for a while and it sticks, then I'll start talking to people about it because I feel like it's one of those things that a lot of people say they're going to do and then they may mm. do like one or two episodes and then... Eh. <laughs> you know it just sits on the shelf so i thought i'll wait for a while and then i'll start talking to people and now i've just about started telling people about it and trying to get people's like thoughts and ideas and um that's been quite quite interesting too mm -hmm. wow man i really like like um that um you were not like you don't want to be open about it yet because um you're not sure you, you weren't sure like that you were going to do this for a while. Hmm. Are you sure now? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, so I started it in February and I now will, would say that it is quite a regular part of my routine now. So, you know, weekends, I usually dedicate at least a day to podcasting and I record my episodes and, reach out to guests and get that all sorted. And I've been really thankful that I've been able to keep a consistent schedule. So once a Sunday, every Sunday I, I upload uh, an episode and I've managed to do that consistently from February, which I'm really happy about. For me, it's not about how much content I can put out. It's how consistent can I be? So given that mm -hmm. I'm like working full time for me, like once a week on Sunday is my thing. And I have managed to stick to it until now. I think it'll probably, it'll probably stick. It is definitely going to stick. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. I hope for the best, man. I really hope that your podcast just goes up because I really like, um, like the, the fact that you, like you, you, you don't want to just keep it like an interview podcast. You want to have a conversation with them. There's a huge difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And. You know, I really appreciate that, Ishan. Thank you. For me, one of the things that podcasting has taught me is when I have an interview with someone, I learned that it's my job to make them feel like a rock star. And I think that's such a powerful skill because if you learn mm -hmm. how to make someone else feel good, then whether you're interviewing someone, whether you're having a conversation in real life or a meeting or you're talking with friends, if you can learn how to make the other person feel really good by giving them your time, your attention, your curiosity, your enthusiasm, then that's how relationships grow, man. And, you know, you get so much more than you receive. And that's why I have grown to enjoy it so much because it's taught me so many skills that I 
I'm trying to use in, in the real world. And I think it's something that you do really well as well. You know, asking questions, being genuinely curious and interested, giving your time and your attention, I think are really valuable skills and it'll take you really far in life, man, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Wow, man, I think, wow. I think we'll just wrap this up. Um, what are the three things you would like to leave the audience with? Wow, I love this question. Um, so I love, I love asking these kinds of questions at the end of episodes. So three things I would love to leave the audience with. I would say, do what excites you. Do it wholeheartedly. I like that. And don't get distracted on the way. Those are my three things. Hmm. I like that. Don't get distracted. Wait, I think we'll just say them again. I don't know the exact order. <laughs> sure. So I said, do what excites you. Do what do excites wholeheartedly, you. Wholeheartedly and don't get distracted along the way. Do what excites you. Do it wholeheartedly and, and don't get extra. Don't get distracted. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool thing for people to live with. Thank you for yeah. being on my show, man. Thank you, Aaron. It meant a lot to have you on my show. I really had a wonderful time having this conversation with you. I mean, we've tried this before so many times. You finally done it. I'm so glad we did this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude. I'm so glad. It's been an absolute pleasure being on the show, Ishan. I am so grateful that you thought I was interesting enough to have you on the show and to have this awesome conversation with you. I've had a great time, man. And you're a fantastic host and interviewer. I love what you're doing and I wish you all the best, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you for being on my show, man. Have a great day, man. You too. Bye-bye.